turn to Matthew chapter 20. Now, I've, uh, I've got to confess, I've got a, a hidden talent. Uh, I generally don't go public on this, but I thought, you know, today would be the day I'd probably tell you about this. Um, there are times that I just happen to miss things that I shouldn't, okay? Generally observant, though I may usually be, I find that there's times where I miss the obvious. And uh, I'll just give you an example. Like this week, uh, my wife uh, told me I was going to town. I had all the kids. I had a bunch of stuff I was going to take care of. She said, make sure you don't forget to take back the library books. And also, I got a bunch of books on hold, so make sure you get my library card, and I'm going to put the books out for you. And sure enough, my wife did just that. She put them in the hall, but I'd had to go. I'd have to trip over them, okay? So I wouldn't forget to load them up in my car with all my kids and all my other stuff, right? Well, guess what? I get into town, and I'm, I'm there, and I'm like, Some, the, something's missing. Oh, the books, you know? And I've I forgot them. You know, I, how do these things happen? I had to probably trip over those books, but I forgot it. Now, I think this is one of the reasons my wife loves me. Okay, I mean, it's just she's probably attracted to that trait. I, anybody else relate to this? Okay, all right. So, uh, like for instance, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving back from Shreveport, Louisiana, and it was late. I was talking with my wife on the phone. I had my GPS unit out and working, all programmed to get back to Waco, but. I actually somehow missed the exit to go to Tyler. I don't know. I had it programmed. I was second guessing. This is a bad deal, but I'm second guessing my GPS unit these days. I'm like, that probably isn't right. I just kept going, and I sure enough, I missed it. So I'm driving around in the middle of nowhere trying to find my way back to Waco. And there's just times where I just can't find what I, I think should be there. I, I miss it. I can't find the ketchup. I can't find the salsa. I can't find that shirt that I need, and i got to leave here in 15 minutes. I, sometimes I can't find my keys. And sometimes I just simply miss things, and I and I I love hearing this. Like I'll, I'll ask my wife, and she'll go, "Hey, it's it's right here. How how did you miss that? I don't know. It's like it materialized. It wasn't there when I looked, but then my wife looks, and she like, and then all of a sudden there it is. You know, I have a tendency to miss things that I shouldn't. I'd imagine I'm not alone. I did see some of you wives looking at your husbands, like, how about them? Maybe this is a male trait, huh? All right. You know, we miss these things, and. Uh, that's all right. Some of this stuff is kind of small potatoes, not a big deal. However, there is something that we absolutely must not miss that Jesus gave so much attention to in his private discourses, his parables, his sermons. He says the one thing you shouldn't miss is the kingdom of God. Now, if I was to sum up one of the key themes every time Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, it's this. Don't miss it. Take heed. Listen up. Pay attention. You see, the kingdom of God is the sphere of God's rule. It's the realm in which Christ the King rules. He rules presently in the hearts of all those who are trusting him. One day he's going to physically realize his earthly reign. He's coming back to the earth and he's reign. He is the present king. He's the king of glory. We're just saying worship to him. But one day he's coming back and he's going to reign. Those who are part of his kingdom presently worship him. And Jesus gave a lot of statements, parables, stories, sermons about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He wants to under, us to understand its activity, its attributes, and the nature of the king himself. And when we come to Matthew chapter 19 at the very end, the very last verse through 2016, we come to one of Jesus' parables that as Americans we don't like. In fact, this parable rubs people oftentimes the wrong way. It's oftentimes neglected. This would never be on the list of America's favorite stories because this goes against the grain of who we are. We don't like this for a variety of reasons.
But if we miss what Jesus is revealing about the king and the kingdom in this parable, we're going to miss a great deal of who God really is and what he desires to do in our life. And so you pick it up actually in verse 30 of 19. Verse 30 and 2016 are basically the exact same statement. In ancient literature, they bracketed a story, and oftentimes they did something called inclusio. They gave the beginning statement, and it had a very similar ending statement, and that's exactly what you find here. Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. They're all listening. And Jesus says, this is a teachable moment. We don't like the idea of first, last, last, first, right? We like first, first, and last, last, right? Jesus knows that. His initial disciples, that was their mentality. So he said, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 1 in chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And so here we have a landowner. This is likely a, a man who owns uh, this, a massive vineyard. And this is probably September because this is when you harvested the grapes. And so what would happen? The guy, a landowner is probably going to have a bunch of servants. But you wouldn't have enough servants to actually harvest a crop. At this point, you're going to need a lot of extra help. And so this is what happened. They would go, a landowner, anybody looking for help, you would go to the city gates because that's pretty much where all the trade, the commerce took place, the city gates. And this is also where if you were looking for work, you'd hang out. And if you were looking for a job, you would go there very early in the morning, about 5 a.m. Because the work day for the Jewish people was about 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was 12 hours. Ten of those hours was considered a standard work week, a work day. Two of those hours were for eating, resting, and praying. Okay, And so you would go at the very early part. It's still dark. You're showing up at the gate because you want to get hired. And that's exactly what this man does. This wealthy landowner, this vineyard owner, he shows up at the gate and he starts selecting people to come and to work into his vineyard because it's harvest. Now, there's a few things you need to know about harvest. It was critical that the grapes are harvested at just the right time. If they were at, the grapes were delayed even by two days, the sugar content would be too high, and they wouldn't be pre, a premium grade for grapes. And so the landowner knew exactly when it needed to take place, so then he goes at this time, and he's gathering all his people. Imagine if that was you. Imagine if you needed a job, okay? For instance, maybe you hadn't inherited any land from your dad, or maybe you just had a very small plot of land. It wasn't really enough for you to make a living for your family, and so you were always looking for work. Or perhaps you had lost your land somehow, and so you would be at this gate. And let's say you're there at 5 o'clock in the morning. You've got your little lunch pail, right? Okay, you put on your best shirt. You're looking good. This guy shows up in a flatbed truck, and he says, hey, I'm looking for help today. And he selects you. He doesn't look at your resume. He doesn't ask for references. He doesn't ask if you've listed lately at the Y or anything like that. He's like, you, 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 you. And he selects you. He says, hop on the truck. I'll tell you what. I'm going to pay you a whole denarius, a whole day's wage. I've got to, I need some help today. Can you hop on? Whoa. You would be thrilled and excited. You see, uh, to work, this was a great blessing. To work, to actually have an opportunity to make money, to pay bills, to, to actually clothe yourself and your family, to feed your family and yourself. This was a great blessing. To work was a joy. It was a great opportunity. And let me assure you, 
you were far more dependent upon the landowner than the landowner was dependent upon you. And so you wouldn't be like, oh, another day at the job here at the salt mine. No, if you got selected, you had an opportunity to work. It was a great joy because otherwise you're standing idle at the gate waiting for someone to hopefully hire you or now you're going to be reduced back to begging. And so to be selected, boy, this was extremely important for people who had no steady employment. And so he has this great privilege. He has the opportunity to work. You hop on there, you show up there, and you've got all your agreement, and you start working. And so notice what the text says there. They're going out and they're working, but in verse 3, the same landowner, he went out about the third hour and saw others standing in the idol in the marketplace. So he goes back, he realizes, I'm going to need more labor than I've got. So he goes back to the gate, and sure enough, there's some guys hanging out. They didn't get selected. And he says, you know what? Verse 4, and those he said, hey, you know what? You also, you go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And so they go. They don't even talk about how much you're getting paid. Like, whoa, I just got selected. They're pretty excited about that. So at 9 o'clock, here comes another flatbed load of folks here. They got their lunch pails, got fresh labor, and you're, you're out there working. You've been working for three hours. You've been enjoying the cool of the day, but, I mean, your fingernails are dirty. You're starting to get a little bit tired there, and here comes a whole new crew. You're probably excited about that because, man, this is a huge vineyard, and there's a lot of help that is needed. So these guys plop, hop in, and they start figuring out what they need to do, which grapes to select, which ones to bypass, and things are going along as fine. But, but then notice verse 5, and he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. This landowner is realizing I have got to get this harvest in. There may be a couple things that are driving this. First of all, he knows that the quality of the grape is dependent upon when it is harvested. But here's another possible reason why he's hiring at such a rapid rate. If this is a Friday, tomorrow is what? Sabbath. You do not work on the Sabbath. This was paramount in Judaism. One of the Ten Commandments. You do not work. God made it explicitly clear. In fact, there's illustrations of the Bible. You worked, you died. So they never worked on the Sabbath. It was reserved for rest unto God. This landowner's got thinking, I have got to get my crop in. So he is, he is working as hard as he can. He's hiring as many people as he can. He's going at the sixth hour, ninth hour. He's going at nine o'clock, twelve o'clock, three o'clock. And look at verse six. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? Eleventh hour, five o'clock, one more hour left. And he goes and he sees all these guys. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you standing around? Hey, and they say, verse seven, because no one hired us. And he said to them, hey, you two, you go into the vineyard, too. I want to hire you. Just hop on this truck. I'm taking you down. You see, these men were so desperate for work that they would wait to work even for just one hour, which is probably going to be the equivalent of about $3.50, okay? But they needed a job, or perhaps they were waiting because they're trying to line up employment for the next day. That is the nature of the desperation for laborers, for work. And he says, hey, you know what? I'll hire you for one hour. Hop on. Let's go. And so they did, and... And they show up there, and now, let's say you've been out there, and you've gone through the heat of the day. This is September. It still gets really hot in the summertime. You've been laboring, and you're working hard, and 
here comes another truckload of workers. These guys are all looking all excited. Man, you are just drenched in sweat. Your body is aching. You are tired. You've been packing grapes all day. Here are these guys. They hop off. They're singing a little song, you know. You know, There's not a drop of sweat on their brow. They're, you, you know what's happening? You resent these latecomers. You know what I'm saying? Stop singing, all right? And then you watch. They hardly know what they're doing. You kind of do a little calculation. You figure that you can probably do in 10 minutes what takes three of those guys to do in one hour. They don't even know what they're doing. And you're kind of a little bit bitter about that. You don't even talk to those guys. They're not in the group. They haven't worked all day like you have. And then something amazing happens. Verse 8. When evening came, the job's all done. The owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, That's what I want you to do. I want you to call the laborers and I want you to pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Now, you always got paid at the end of the day. But this landowner says to the foreman, I want you to start off with the guys that showed up last, that last truckload of guys. Start. I want you to pay them first. And so verse nine, when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received. This has got to be a typo in my Bible here. It says they received it. A denarius. What? They got a whole day's wage. Now, you're sitting there and you're, you're watching this. You all got lined up like, what? what? They're getting first? That, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, man, I've been here all day. I'm tired. And you start, and you're like pretty upset, ticked off, the gall of this owner to do that. But then you're like, what? The word gets, they're paying him a denarius for one hour work. All of a sudden, man, it, you start just calculating. You're like, whoa. Pull out your little handy-dandy calculator. One denarius for one hour. <laughs> Times 12. Oh, yeah, you're like, where's my phone? All right. You're, you're like looking for your phone because you're about ready to call the wife. And you're going to like, hey, you know what? You know that trip to Italy we've been talking about? You're about ready to call her and say, just book it, okay? This has been a good day at the office. You know what I mean? In fact, while you're at it, while you're on Amazon, why don't you just get that luggage that we've been looking at? Just get it, all right? I think we have just scored here, right? And so you're watching this, and you're just about ready to make the call, and then you, what's, what's going on? These guys that showed up, uh, you know, a little bit later, they're at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're getting paid. And you're like, they're going to get paid three denarius. Wait, they get paid. Wait, they're getting, a, they're getting how much? A denarius? Just one? Wait, what's going on here? What? Something's wrong. Wait, wait a second here. Then the guys came at 12 o'clock. They're getting, they're getting a denarius? Two? Wait, wait a second here. <clears throat> and then the guys remember showed up at 9 o'clock? They're getting denarius, and then, and then you're standing here, and there's the foreman, and you're like, whoa, he better, maybe he's saving it all up for me and the other guys that showed here up here at six, right? And he hands you a denarius, puts your hand, well, you're livid. You spit on that, like, what? What are you doing, man? You're all upset, man. You were bent out of shape because you got paid a denarius. You worked the whole day, and these chums over here that showed up, they worked one hour, they got paid the exact same, man. This is absolutely unfair. This is injustice. And you're mad and you're livid. And so then what is it? Look what happens here. So he's, he's paying them off here. And, and then you see, verse 10, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, look at that, verse 11. They grumbled at the landowner. Who in the world are you? What are you thinking? In verse 12, saying, these last men have worked only one hour. Can I help you out? Maybe you got confused because you were hiring so many people. But these guys over here, they only worked one hour. Moi? Me? Okay. 
You look at me. I'm sweating. My arm's bleeding. I'm tired. I can hardly stand. I've been here all day. And look, he says, these guys only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us. You can't do that. We're going to start a labor union. You can't do this. Who have made, you know what? You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. We've been laboring all day. And they're just fit to be tied. You can just hear them raging and ranting and raving and spitting. But look at verse 13. But he, the landowner, said to one of them, friend, look at, look at the graciousness of the tone. He, he, doesn't, he calls him friend. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Isn't that what we talked about? Uh, I, yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, well. He says, take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Hey, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. You see, the landowner, this guy's smart. He sees right through their facade, and he actually understands their heart, why they're all upset. You see, he says, you've got a perception problem. You have a heart issue. Your eye is evil, and you can't see the fact that I'm generous. Do you know why you can't see the fact that I am generous? It's because you're greedy, and you don't really know me or my heart. I was totally fair to you. I am gracious and unjust. Now, there's no fraud. There's no deception. No one is being treated unfairly here. But from a human standpoint, can't you relate to the guy who's worked all day? I mean, do you like to be bypassed? I'll just tell you, I don't like it. And in the last few months, I've had some opportunities to find out how I don't like it. For instance, I was buying tires, and, you know, I have to stand in line. And good thing that we got these iPhones. I can do emails and things like that, you know. And then I'm standing. I'm the next guy. And and they, the guy looks up, and I'm like going to walk forward, and here's a guy coming from the back. He walks right past me, and he goes, and he gets help. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, do I make a scene here? What? I mean, like, come on. How is it? What? Come on here. How did that guy, how did they not know? I was the next in line. I got bypassed by this guy. That rubbed me the wrong way. Then, uh, then I was like, a couple weeks ago, I had the pharmacy at night. Been a full day, tired. I'm waiting. I'm giving the the person in front of me. I sense they needed some personal space when they were talking about their issues. I'm like, okay, I'll stand back here. And they're, you know, they're just kind of a little awkward at the pharmacy there. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna stand here. And uh, I'm waiting. And it's taking forever. And then finally, I'm next. I'm sure that lady saw me. I am just about ready to step forward. And here's a guy. He he came out of the aisle and he walked right past me. And he comes and he goes gives his sorry little situation. I'm like, whoa, who are you? And I'm like, are you the guy at the tire place or no? It's his brother, you know. And I'm like, hey, hey, let me help you out here. Your mama didn't teach you right on some of these things. We wait in line. The first go first, the last go last. I don't know what you were doing, but you just bypassed me. I'm standing there with my son. We're just like, hey, you know, teachable moment right here. Okay, we don't like it. We don't like it. You don't like it. Like it, if you were out shopping at HEB and you know and you stand on one of the mega lines, you know, and you're waiting. And let's say the store owner comes out and he says, "Hey, listen, you guys in the back, come over here. I'm going to help you out here." You would just go ballistic, right? You'd be throwing magazines because we don't like it. We like what? We wanted. 
We're in line. We're first. We get it. We think this way. And that is the problem. You see, Jesus ends this parable by saying, so the last shall be first and the first last. What does that mean? Well, if any of you have ever done any running, if you ever run a road race or a foot race, to finish in a dead heat means that there is absolutely no disparity between the guy who's first and last. You finished together absolutely at the exact same time. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying in the kingdom, there's going to be a great sense of equality. Now, don't get the idea that Jesus is talking about fair labor practices here, okay? This isn't about how to run an economy. He is actually giving a spiritual lesson. But what are we supposed to learn from this parable? Well, let me give you three things that we are absolutely supposed to pick up. First of all, there is a radical equality in the eternal life of God's kingdom. A radical equality. It doesn't matter when you came to a place where you've trusted Christ, whether it's at the very end of your life or toward the beginning. There's an absolute equality. Whether you came in at 6 a.m. or you came in at the last minute, there's an absolute equality within the kingdom of heaven. And you see, a place in God's kingdom is not something that you earn. For those of you who became Christians early in life, It's not that you earn God's favor and he's like, well, you got the choice spots and the choice seats. No, in God's eternal life that he's offering, it's free, it's gracious, it's abundant, and it's to everyone at any time. You remember the question that Peter was asking Jesus right before this? Remember from last week? Remember the guy, that rich young guy who walked away, he was a rich young ruler, he walked away from Jesus, you know, because Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Why don't you just sell all your stuff and come follow me? You want eternal life? Well, Peter said, hey, remember, Jesus, we did that, right? What Peter is being taught here, as well as the other disciples, is that they're kind of thinking we got first place and everybody else is going to follow behind us. Jesus is helping them understand eternal life. There's going to be a great amount of equity. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be tax collectors and there's going to be prostitutes. In the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be apostles and there's going to be martyrs. In the kingdom of heaven, when we get to heaven, We're going to be shocked at who's there and who's not there. There are going to be men that just a minute before, when they were in their foxhole, they literally gave their life to Christ. They turned from sin and trusted Christ for everything. And the next minute they were blown into eternity. Those who trusted Christ, they're going to be there even in the last minute. You see, the issue here is equality When it comes to eternal life. Now, Jesus isn't denying that there's not going to be degrees of reward. There are going to be rewards. and The New Testament teaches that faithfulness will be rewarded, likely with greater responsibility in the kingdom of heaven. But when it comes to eternal life and the abundance of grace, forgiveness, redemption, joy. Let me assure you, we all come on equal grounds because of the grace of the Lord. Let me tell you something else about the kingdom of heaven that we need to know. There is a radical generosity in the heart of the king. I want to draw your attention to verse 15 because that is the key verse to help us understand this. The the landowner says, is it not my right? Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? You see, this parable is about the king, about the landowner. We are so preoccupied with self that we miss out that this is a parable all about the owner his rights, his characteristics, who he is. And he says, I'm gracious 
I'm good. I want you to understand me. And this is who I am. We, on the other hand, we always think it's always about us. We even approach our spirituality in terms of what do I get out of it and my placement and what I deserve. When in actuality, God wants us to be focused upon him, his nature, his goodness, and his character. When he says, when he says in verse 15, he says, uh, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Uh, that word agathos means good, inherently good. I am good in and of itself. I am good even when you don't deserve it. That is who I am. I am good by nature. I don't work on moods. I don't work on merit. I am good and I am gracious. And that's what he's teaching them. You see, we have the idea that God, God still works on a merit system. And if we perform well, he likes us. And if we're not doing so well, he doesn't like us so much. But that's not how God is because he's the most benevolent person. And do you know he gives joy Peace, happiness, life, forgiveness to any and each. It doesn't matter what your background is or even how you got here today. The riches that are available in Christ are great. And let me give you the third trait that we're supposed to pick up about the kingdom of heaven from this parable. There's not only a radical equality of eternal life. There's not only a radical generosity in the heart of the king, but there is to be a radical generosity in the hearts of those who are in the kingdom i want to again show you in verse 15 you see what he says toward the end there he says or is your eye envious because i am generous that could be literally translated are you giving me the evil eye because i'm generous you see what what's happening here is that jesus is addressing the heart issue of each of us that is listening to this Remember on Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, you know, your eye, the eye is like the lamp of the body. If the eye is good, then guess what? You got light in your body. But if your eye is bad, why your whole body is darkness. And what he's saying, your eye is not only the physical receptacle by which you receive light and sight, uh, the the physical uh, means by which you have sight, but it is also figuratively. It's how you perceive, how you see. If you see well, you have a clear sight of who God is then this parable makes sense and you rejoice in the goodness of the king. But if your eye is bad, it's clouded, you're self-occupied, you're on an earning merit system, you're a legalist, then you know what? Your eye's bad, you don't see the king for who he is. Now, we can relate to this guy that got jilted, so to speak, at the end. I mean, think about it. If you're at the doctor's office, you set up an appointment two weeks ago, and you're sitting there waiting your hour and a half to get in to the doctor. What is he possibly doing back there? I'm dying out here. And some guy wanders in. He's like, I just need an appointment. I'd like to talk to my doctor, you know. And then the doctor walks in and goes, hey, the guy that just kind of walked in here, uh, I'm going to see him. You guys just keep hanging out. We would be upset about things like that, right? We don't like being treated like that. Or, for instance, let's say you've worked for 40 years for a company. And you've got a nice office. And you've, worked, you've got a pretty decent income now. And they hire some young shot out of college, right? Just out of college. Hardly even knows his middle name. And, and they hire him, and, and it's like, you know what? We're so glad to have you. We're going to give you the same income as we've got this guy here. This, he's worked 40 hours. In fact, you're going to share offices, and you have the guy kind of move his stuff over so you can actually share. The guy who's been there for 40 years is like, this isn't right. We kind of think that inequality 
is injustice. But you know what? With the king, it's not. He is gracious, and he wants us to be gracious. That's why he is doing what he's doing in this parable. You remember in verse 8, what happened? It's as if he drove home the point. What happened is this. Who did he start with? Who did he want to start with to get paid? Do you guys remember? The guys that worked one hour. Why would you do that? Because think of it. If you're smart, right, what would you do? You'd start with the guys who work first. You pay them off. They walk away with their dinners like, hey, this is great. And everybody else just keeps getting. And everybody's happy because everybody's gotten this great reward, right? But you see, the landowner is trying to show them the nature of his character. That's why he lined them up the way he did. And that's why he started with the last ones that showed up first. Because he is driving home the point that I am gracious. And when we see God as gracious, when we understand who he is, we actually can rejoice with how he treats others. In fact, until we see God for who he is, the fact that he's generous, loving, kind, he doesn't pay on a merit system. Do you know how God actually sees on a need basis? He sees beyond the fact that the man worked one hour to the need the man has for his own life and for his family. And the landowner is generous. But if your eye's bad, you know what? You miss the owner's generosity. Now, let me tell you, Christians, for the most part, have rejected this parable. For instance, I'll give you a little church history here. When George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley, when they began preaching the gospel to kind of the low class of society. How do you think the, the, the church, the esteemed members, took that? They rejected it. They looked down upon it. They criticized these men who were out preaching the gospel to these commoners. Or, for instance, you've heard of a guy by the name of William Booth. He starts something called the Salvation Army. Pretty simple. We're offering him soup, soap, and we are offering him salvation. Was he well-received to bring the gospel and the love of Christ to the lost of England in the slums? Absolutely not. He was rejected and he was criticized by the self-righteous church of the day. We see what God wants us to realize is his goodness and his graciousness. It's kind of like love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. When you start to realize the immensity of which God loves you, when Romans 8 comes from page, words on a page to reality in your life that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, when you begin to bask in that and rest in it and realize it, what happens is that you yourself become generous and loving. Well, that is the exact same way. When we come to know God as he is, generous and gracious, we become like him. And we start living differently. I'd like you to envision your life differently, just for a minute. Imagine if the fullness of this parable sunk in and you realize how good and generous God has been to you. That the response of the Holy Spirit in our life is that if he's like this and you're united with his son, you can never be separated. To live generously, like, for instance, with your time. The person that's kind of high need, extra maintenance, extra grace required people, you know, people like that. You actually give them that time. Maybe uh, think about in terms of forgiveness. Instead of withholding it, like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be stingy here. Think of how gracious God's been in forgiving you. Here's another one. Envision your life being generous in your worship. Was last week a generous worship week for you? 
Uh, what are you talking about, Grant? Uh, did you pray? Did you ever just enjoy God? Did you read his word? Did you do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men? Did you sing a song of praise to God? Did you ever just say, God, you're awesome or you're great or thank you? Sometimes we, we are so stingy even in our worship. God wants us to be generous in our worship because he's generous with us. Well, here's another one, our money. Are you generous? Are you generous in how you treat people, even with your finances? In terms of your giving to God's work, would your life be categorized as generosity, freely giving because you've been freely given to or more? I'm really glad God gave me this. I'll acknowledge him on that. But really, it's all about me and I'm going to keep as much as I can. What about your attitudes? Are you generous and gracious in your attitude or is it more? No, you're running around angry all the time. You're mean, you're self-centered, you're prideful. Here's another one. In terms of giving respect. Do you only show respect to people that you think are on my plane or above me? And I'll show deference to them. But anybody else that I think is they're not in the same social strata, don't make the same income, they're, you know, they're not quite like me. I'll just ignore them. God wants his people to reflect and generate and live in his light and his love in every respect. And it's only becoming like him that we can hear this story as good news. And that is exactly what God desires. You see, the radical grace of God is meant to transform the lives of his people. We are to read this parable and come to grips that this is what God's like. He is gracious even to those who don't deserve it. And as a result of this relationship with God, we ourselves become gracious as well. Matt Woodley writes of his story of his friend George. George was terrible. George uh, had this pretty bad pornography issue, and it went from bad to worse. It escalated to the point where he's hiring high-priced uh, and high-priced escort service. He's telling this sordid tale of sin in the bottom of this church in this basement. And Matt's listening to this. And this guy lost it all. He lost his job. His family disowned him. His wife was leaving him. He's like, that's it. I'm done with you. But George, finally, when he hit bottom, it's kind of like the prodigal son. He came to his senses, and he came to a point where he actually turned to Christ in total brokenness and repentance. He just had nothing. And he, he told this tale of filth in his life. And he's telling these guys, and, and Matt was a part of this group, and he said, I've been carrying around this poem for these last few days. Maybe you haven't heard it, but I, I want you to listen to this. He said, it says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But I was blind, but now I see. And he had tears streaming down his eyes. This is for me. And Matt said, he became my mentor for grace. How many times have you heard that song? And you're like, oh, amazing grace again. So boring. I heard this so many times. When in reality, grace is meant to overwhelm us because grace is who God is. You know who's like the lavish landlord, don't you? It's the king himself, Jesus. When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, there were two other criminals that were being crucified, one on either side. They both were hurling insults and abuse toward him. And then what happened was this. One of those prisoners those convicts actually realized who he was. And he said this, we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus. You got to see this. They're all crucified, but he's, he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And you remember what Jesus said while he's on the cross? Today, you will be with me in paradise. You're mine. You're a last minute. But I'm taking you home. And I'm taking you with me. You see, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who was radically gracious. Did you want to experience God's radical grace in your life? Become like the landowner, the Lord himself. And you do so by basking in his grace. For the radical grace of God is to transform the lives of his people. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing parable. That which goes against the grain of our thinking really reveals the depth of your character, how loving, kind, gracious you are. And Father, I pray with my many friends that are gathered here this morning, we oftentimes don't get this, and our lives reflect this. Help us, Lord, to see you as in all your goodness and your love, your kindness, your forgiveness, and your grace. And as a work of your Spirit, would you transform us from the inside out? Lord, we love you. We thank you that you never judge us based upon merit. You look upon us with the love and the grace of Jesus, whom you intend to reflect in our life as well. And so we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.